Uh, I think uh, all of us, depending on, you know, maybe not even our age, but from childhood, most of us have learned to love games, right? There's something about a game, the cheering, the excitement, the competition, all that goes into sort of an adrenaline rush and uh, pulls us to a point where we just can be super engaged. So for me, that game was football, like growing up. I started as a seven-year-old, played all the way through high school and loved it, just loved it. So uh, our school was small enough where I played both on offense and defense. I played quarterback on offense, loved that role, you know, leading the team, calling the plays, passing, running, all of that. And I played defensive secondary safety on defense. And the goal there is just don't let anybody behind you. That's, that's the goal. And uh, so it's a pretty special. And those of you that have played uh, football or any sport for that matter, can't you still have in your mind specific plays? Like you can remember how, you know, how a play uh, unfolded. And so, uh, thank you, Dan. Oh, yeah, oh, okay, you got it. That sounds good. <laughs> we should just close in prayer, I guess. That's pretty much the exciting part of the day. So I remember uh, uh, one team that we played uh, in high school just had this enormous running back. And uh, so it was my job in the defensive secondary if this guy ever broke through um, to uh, tackle him. And so, sure enough, here he comes through the line. He breaks through the defensive line. He breaks through the linebackers. And I'm, I'm left pretty much there on my own. And I'm just in my head, I'm thinking, not today, buddy. I, I know you're big, but not today. And so I squared up with everything within me, just hitting me like, you know, helmet face right in his numbers. And as I was doing that, uh, I remember uh, seeing underneath him as he knocked me down and, <laughs> And as I was looking up, but still not to be deterred, I reached up and grabbed his jersey, and we took off. <laughs> so it was just a matter of time for the other team, teammates said, okay, but maybe we should go help Joe. And that's what happened. And we brought the guy down. I, and I, I love that, that they came along, man. But, you know, you can remember certain plays, maybe as you were growing up. I grew up in Georgia, and so I was a huge Georgia Bulldog fan. That's how our whole family was raised. As a kid, I went to all of those games. And so last month, Georgia finally got another national championship. Condolences to Alabama, but I don't really care. So, you know, man, oh, man, what, what a game that was. A few years ago, Trish and I were able to go to a Georgia game in Athens. And, man, what an electric environment. You go into that stadium, Sanford Stadium in Athens, Georgia, and, man, first of all, the place is just a sea of red. That's the color of the Georgia Bulldogs. And you just look around and go, this, this is incredible. And so there's just electricity in the air, and the team comes out, and the band plays. The whole crowd sings. The song there is Glory, Glory to Old Georgia. And I'm standing there with all of these people, thousands and thousands of people, you know, as we're prepared to watch this game. And I'm not, literally, I'm getting choked up, and I realize what's going on for me. I realized in that moment, you know, this, this is not a game. This is a religion. <laughs> That's what this is. This is just something very powerful. And if you've ever been in that uh, environment, you know there's such an electric uh, atmosphere. So today uh, is a big game, right? Super Bowl. Yeah, I hope you have plans. It's awesome. So we've got the Bengals taking on the Rams. And um, Trish and I have, have a private rivalry going on in uh, tonight's game. So you have uh, Joe Burrow who is, uh, yeah, yeah, you you can tell this is going to come out as I tell this story, okay? So uh, Joe Burrow is a quarterback for the Bengals, and Matt Stafford is a quarterback for the Rams. Well, you might not know it, these guys went to college uh, at different colleges, both in the SEC, uh, uh, you know, Southeastern Conference, and so Joe Burrow went to uh, LSU, Louisiana State University, where he was quarterback, 
That's coincidentally where Tricia went to school as well. And of course, you've heard my story. Matt Stafford went to the University of Georgia. So you have this former LSU quarterback and this former Georgia quarterback playing each other today in the Super Bowl. All right. So just for a little accountability, Tricia and I will be attending the game with our small group. Thank you, small group. Just to provide a little marital accountability for Tricia. Okay. (laughs) Uh, It should be fun and exciting, and I hope you get to enjoy the game uh, as well. So in the Bible, you were wondering when we were going to get to that, right? In the Bible, God gives us many analogies to help us understand what it looks like for us to live for Jesus. Let me give you some examples. We're told that the Christ follower is a soldier. The Christ follower is a farmer. The Christ follower is referred to as a boxer or even a runner. And while these pictures help us understand more about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, we need to remember one very important point that I want to start with today. Living your life for God and with God is not a game. It's not a game. Now, if you're a note taker, write that down. It's super important. Not a game. That's not what we're describing here. Sure, your life with God might involve excitement or celebration or even cheering. We even do a little bit of that around here, don't we? And it's okay to celebrate and to be people that enjoy that sort of enthusiasm related even to your relationship with God. But in a life with God, the stakes are high. And the consequences are enormous and the outcome is anything but trivial. We're not talking about a game here. So Jesus refuses to be just a good luck charm. Do you realize that? Some of you who are kind of struggling to understand how God works and why he's not working a certain way in your life might not have come to that realization yet. You might not have come to the realization where you acknowledge, wait, wait a minute, Jesus is not a good luck charm. That's not what he's promised to be in my life. So for many of us, being on the winning team is looking vastly different from how we thought it would look. And I could go sort of sideways here in a separate sermon, but we need to sit in this for a little bit. I believe if we're growing and maturing, God will be dismantling our views of what we thought life, even with him, would be like. He will begin picking those apart and he will be showing us something vastly different from what we thought it would be. And when it comes to those of us who consider, man, I'm on the winning team. I got Jesus and he's my buddy and he's in my hip pocket and he's going to give me everything that I need and want. Pretty soon it's just a matter of time before you'll be disillusioned with that. He's working something different. But let's not forget, right, that life with God starts with an invitation from God, an invitation. So Jesus invites us into a relationship with him, and and it's an invitation that's free of charge. If you've been around here any length of time, you've heard us talk about this. The cost involved for your salvation, listen please, isn't paid by you. It's paid by Jesus. And Jesus paid an immense price to offer the world salvation. And it's offered to you without your having to pay a single thing. So here are two of the many verses that remind us of this truth. Okay, let's start with Romans chapter 4 and verse 5. This verse, by the way, ought to be highlighted in your Bible, uh, if not burned in your memory and your heart. This passage says this, but to him who does not work but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted 
for righteousness. Now, there are multiple passages, especially in the New Testament, that are crystal clear on this very same theme. But friends, it doesn't get any more clear than this. Him who does not work, we don't somehow contribute to paying the price of our salvation. We don't say, okay, God, look at me. I'm working really hard here. Look what I did, God. Do I deserve it now? Have I gotten your attention, God? Have I met your standards, God? No, no, no. But to him who does not work, but instead does what? Believes on him who justifies the ungodly. His faith is accounted for righteousness. And look at Revelation twenty-two seventeen. Again, many others like this. And let him who thirsts come and whoever desires, that's an open invitation. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. Some of your translations have rendered it this way. What does freely mean? Literally means without cost. So you and I, when approaching this invitation offered by God, we don't somehow come to him and go, okay, God, let me check my wallet. Okay, God, let me check my behavior. Let me check my works. Let me see if I've got enough here loaded up to contribute to this thing so that I can deserve the salvation you're offering me. Not at all. That's not what this is about. To embrace this free gift is to do so through belief or through faith. And it is a one-time act. Sometimes I feel like we, we lose sight of this. It is an instant. It is a split second. It is in a moment of time where by faith you turn to him, not by works, but you believe in an act of faith. You believe. And in that split second, you are accounted. There's a finance word there. You are accounted for righteousness. In other words, God looks at you and in that split second, having received that gift by faith alone in Christ alone, God says, righteous, righteous before me. Friends, that is the wonder of the gospel. It is a beautiful picture. The word believe in Greek, there's several words for uh, for believe in Greek. One is pytho, which means to come to believe something, to give assent to, to be convinced, to be persuaded. And John is also fond of using the Greek phrase pistuo ace, which is to many times in his gospel to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. And what, what kind of belief are we talking about? We're not talking about a lifelong belief. We're talking about a split second belief whereby salvation is appropriated in an instant. Belief is the persuasion or confidence or assurance that something is true. And I could go on all day on this, but for that reason, you don't decide to believe something. This is bigger than just semantics. You don't decide to believe something. What do we see as the meaning of belief? It is to believe something, to give assent to, to be convinced, to be persuaded. My friend and mentor Zane Hodges said it this way. If I am not persuaded that something is true, I cannot decide to believe it. You get that? And if I am persuaded that it is true, I have already believed it. That's how belief works. Those are the mechanics of belief. So believing Jesus for salvation is the clear message of the gospel. But Jesus also introduces another idea. What is that other idea? That other idea is following him. Following him. So it's one thing to believe in Jesus for our salvation in that instant of faith. It's another thing then as a Christian to follow him. And I want to open up the Bible today and share a couple of passages that that re-emphasize this idea of following Jesus. We're going to start today in Luke chapter 9. So if you have a Bible, you can open it or you can take a look on the screen. Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Then he said to them all, this is Jesus uh, 
we're talking about here. If anyone desires, I want you to pay very careful attention to the language here. If anyone desires to come after me, hold on to that for a minute. Come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Now, for those of you that are believers in, in this place here or, or joining us online, uh, I, I might ask us all, to what extent are we doing what Jesus is describing here? To what extent have, are we coming after him? Have we denied ourselves? Are we taking up our cross uh, and following him? To what extent is that taking place? So Jesus tells us, he continues to tell us about the cost of discipleship in language like this and more that is clearly not the language of a free gift. You and I can't look at that Bible verse and go, oh, he's talking about a free gift. He's absolutely not talking about a free gift. He's talking about something that costs us a lot. He's talking about something else. He's talking about our following him as his disciple. Let's look at another passage in Luke chapter 14. Let me start at verse 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my, what's the word? Disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And yes, Jesus is the one saying this. All right. So clearly we have language that is not the language of a free gift. Jesus here is describing our incredible sold out commitment to him. The follower or disciple of Jesus must have, comparatively speaking, a love for Jesus that makes his or her love even for family pale in comparison. You get that? If he doesn't. Whoever does not bear his cross and come after me, he cannot be my disciple. So a generation plus ago, M.R. DeHaan was a radio Bible teacher. Uh, he makes a distinction that I think is helpful. He says this, quote, coming to Christ makes one a believer while coming after Christ makes one a disciple. Do you remember that distinction in the couple of verses that we just looked at? All believers are not disciples, he says. To become a believer, one accepts the invitation of the gospel. To be a disciple, one obeys the challenge to a life of dedicated service and separation. So I've known Christians who have been so discouraged by this challenge and challenges like it. Christians right here, even among us, and Christians beyond this church. Christians who have been so discouraged uh, by this challenge that they've left the church altogether and walked away from Jesus. The price of following Jesus was just too high a price to pay. Maybe you've known them too. Maybe you've had a season like that. Maybe you're contemplating that right now. When you look at what Jesus is asking of us, boy, the stakes are high. And I, I actually talked to a man one time who said, I, 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 can't, I can't do that. And he left. He left our church. And he walked away from Jesus. He realized, while even having received the free gift of eternal life, that following Jesus as a disciple required a very high price. And it was a price that was too high for him to pay. So I want to know one of the most unpopular realities of discipleship. The, one of the most unpopular realities of discipleship. Here it is. Following Jesus invites a life of difficulty. I'm sorry, I know that doesn't sell books. I know that doesn't create warm fuzzies. I know, I know, I understand that. But friends, when you open the Bible, you can't come to any other conclusion. Jesus walked the earth in a dependent relationship with his heavenly father. Isn't this incredible? Think about it this way. Jesus, the second person of the, of the Godhead, in, in, in 
the plan of eternity past says, okay, I'm, I'm going to become a human being because that's the only way we could get down, he could get down on our level. And so he comes as a human being. And as he walks the earth, he does so in a dependent relationship. Like Jesus didn't come with his gun loaded with power. You know, miracles that were, that were sort of stored up. He came in a dependent relationship. It was a derived power through his relationship with his Holy Spirit. He even said, I can only do what I see my father doing. And because that relationship was what it was, Jesus was able to do everything he did. It's, it's incredible. But let's not forget, Jesus was also reviled, misunderstood, abandoned, alone, falsely accused, slandered, mocked, ridiculed, assaulted, and betrayed. And again, if we just sat in that for a minute, some of us with whatever problems we're facing need to understand that much of what we go through as believers in Jesus is the sufferings of Christ. It's not just that he hung on the cross. It's that he experienced all of those other things that are so incredibly painful. Did you pick out a few things on the list? I have. I've experienced some of those things. And you look at that and you go, wow, okay, what did we expect? So no wonder God says things like this in the Bible. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Or watch out when everyone speaks well of you. I <laughs> uh, just better be quiet. <laughs> How about this? Don't let the world squeeze you into its own mold. How about this? We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against dark powers. Or be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Did we really think this was some sort of formula for success? We would just come to Jesus and live for him and it'd be like walking on rose petals. <laughs> no. While Jesus offers the gift of eternal life free of charge, he says, if you want to come after me as my disciple, buckle up. So a recent Forbes magazine article suggested that more than 340 million Christians were living in countries where they might suffer high levels of persecution and discrimination because of their faith. On average, every day in the world, 13 Christians are killed for their faith, 12 churches or Christian buildings are attacked, 12 Christians are unjustly arrested, detained, or imprisoned, and five Christians are abducted for faith-related reasons. Christianity Today, in another article, cites David Barrett, who says that 70 million Christians have been martyred for their faith since Jesus walked the earth. That's a lot of people. Believers who were killed because they followed Jesus. That's it. They paid a price. I appreciate the honesty of C.S. Lewis, brilliant writer, when he says... I didn't go to religion to make me happy. I always knew a bottle of port would do that. <laughs> if you want a religion to make you feel really comfortable, I certainly don't recommend Christianity. That's Lewis. Quintessential Lewis. Could it be that we've 
Americanized the gospel and we've hijacked the biblical gospel. So in Mark's gospel, Jesus draws, draws a paradoxical connection between saving and losing your life. You may know the passage. It's just incredible. Turn with me to Mark chapter 8. Jesus continues to, to describe what he's described already in the couple of passages we've already looked at. And here we're told this in beginning at verse 34. Then Jesus called a crowd along with his disciples and said to them, again, these are words from Jesus. If anyone wants to become my follower, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Again, not the language of the reception of a free gift. He even uses the word follower. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life because of me and because of the gospel will save it. For what benefit is it for a person to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his life? Now, there's a lot going on here, friends. But let's start at the end and work backwards. How many of you are holding translations where you're reading that final verse that says is something like this? Or, or what does it mean for a person to gain the whole world and lose his soul? Just hands up. Anybody? Yeah, that's a quite common translation. But do you know that the word for soul can also be translated life? In fact, the very same word for soul that's often translated soul in that final verse is the same word that you see there used for life throughout the verse. Pardon my highlighting here. I got a little carried away. There's so much in this verse, right? So what's he saying? He's saying here that that the believer can actually be a person who we can attempt to gain the whole world and forget like going to heaven and being separated from God. Yeah, that's part of it. But we can forfeit our life right now. We can cease to live as God wants us to live right now. We can forfeit the life that God intends for us to live. So, So Jesus' words are not meant to confuse us, but to reassure us. Right? Whatever price we pay in following him will be richly rewarded. That's what he's saying. Lose it and you get it. This is the irony of the, of the whole thing. And make no mistake, this is not a game. I hope that point's coming through. Any attempt to selfishly hoard our life and gifts is met with losing the very thing we long to keep. But when we open-handedly lose ourselves for God, we're rewarded with something more profound than what we gave away. Do you get all this? This is an incredible paradox that's filled with so much meaning and power as we consider his words. So everyone who has believed in Jesus is faced with a decision to pay the price to follow him. That's just plain and simple, okay? So today, you've already guessed it, we're celebrating baptism. And what an incredible celebration that is. Baptism is not a superstition. It's not magic. Baptism doesn't save you or make you holy. It doesn't now assure you that you have a ticket to heaven. That's not what's going on. Baptism is simply an outward symbol of what's already taken place inside of you. So baptism is for a believer And baptism is about that believer saying, I believe in Jesus. Now I want to publicly identify with him. Now we do that in our culture in in the safety and confines of a room like this, where for the most part, we're all friendly toward each other. All right. You know, you do this out in public in some Middle East country or somewhere like that. You might be killed for this very act. Okay. But all we're doing is acknowledging a believer's desire to identify with Jesus in a public way. And so we get to be part of that celebration uh, together. 
So here's what's going to happen. So in, in a moment, you'll see people come onto the stage here and they're going to pin their stories on uh, the board behind me there. What you see hanging there is, is former stories from previous baptisms. And then they're going to make their way down here and into the water and to be baptized. Now, uh, I don't know if I need to just remind us that this is, this is a celebration. And so don't, don't have your church reserve face on, okay? Uh, we can clap, we can shout, we can cheer. We can just express our excitement about someone coming to be baptized. As well, in this service, we're giving an opportunity for you who hadn't planned to be baptized today to, in the moment, say, you know what? Uh, I'm a believer, and I think today I, I want to be baptized. And if that's you, we cheer you on as well. There are people here to help you process that decision right over here in our green room, which is the door uh, going that's facing you there. And uh, just simply ask yourself, have you believed in Jesus for the gift of salvation? Ask yourself as well, do you understand the purpose of baptism? And there'll be some folks to help you process that back here if you choose to do that. And ask yourself, is there any reason preventing you from being baptized today? Again, there'll be folks to help you with that decision. If, um, if you're a family and you have like a child with you and the child says, I, I want to do that, uh, we, we have a very special and powerful time in our children's ministry right here where we baptize kids. So I would encourage them to be part of that. It's a very, very special and powerful uh, evening together. So we've got towels for you. For those of you going, well, I, I'm gonna, I, I'll be wet. Yeah, you will, but we have towels for you. Or some of you say, I didn't bring a change of clothes. Well, guess what? We have a change of clothes for you. So we're trying to eliminate the uh, excuses, but I would invite you to uh, consider if you're a believer and have never been baptized to come on and be part of that today, okay? So in, in an atmosphere of celebration, we uh, invite God's Holy Spirit to come and to be part of what we're doing here today, okay? Uh, let me pray for us as we get ready to celebrate together. Uh, our Father, we thank you so much for the amazing gift of salvation found through your son, Jesus. And Lord, uh, I'll be the first to admit I'm a bit sobered of your description and your desires of what it means to follow you now having believed. So my prayer for every one of us who are believers here that we might say, God, help us to align our lives in such a way where we understand first and foremost, this is not a game. The stakes are high, enormous even, not trivial in the least. So we pray that we would live out our lives. We do thank you for the freedoms you've given us to enjoy here in our country but we realize those freedoms aren't guaranteed, even as a, as a believer. We pray for our brothers and sisters around the world, many of whom are suffering deep persecution. Some are giving their lives for the sake of Christ. Help us to understand what it means to follow you wholeheartedly, unquestionably, as your disciples. And I pray this in the name of Jesus.